Well, g'day, folks. Welcome to the Awaken Network podcast. I'm John Tyson, lead pastor of Church of the City in New York, and I'm joined by Chad Bohai, who is the lead pastor of Radiant Central Coast, and Sam Gibson, who leads Pray NYC in New York City. Thanks for joining us. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about prayer, revival, awakening, and what it looks like to seek God for another move of the Holy Spirit in our time. It's great to have you with us. Well, thank you so much for joining us back on the Awaken Network podcast. We're here, uh, Chad, Sam, and John. Uh, Episode three, we're going to be talking about the God of revival. We've unpacked a little bit about sort of who we are, our, our, how how the Holy Spirit grabbed our hearts and, and ruined us for any other form or version mm-hmm. of Christianity, but without God and his presence being manifest and at the center. So, and then we've talked about sort of some of the precedents of what is prayer? Why does it matter? What's revival awakening? These have been the, the last few episodes. And so, uh, John, why don't you just unpack for us a little bit of what do we mean by, uh, and then and Sam, you touched on this on your mm-hmm. definition of prayer. Prayer, we can't pray without knowing the nature and character mm-hmm. Of God. So when we talk about revival, where do we sort of, where do you go to discover that we serve a God of revival? Like unpack some of that for us. So I was um, reading the lectionary and I came across this one passage that to me, I think is really a shift that God is doing in the church right now. There's this little verse in 1 Chronicles 13, 3 that says this, and this is uh, King David speaking after he takes the throne. So he's now, you know, been through all of his testing. He's learned to rely on the Lord. God's given him an army and favor and confidence. And now he actually has the throne. And it says this in uh, 1 Chronicles 13, 2 and 3. It says, let us bring up the ark of our God back for us, for we did not inquire of it at all during the reign of Saul. Mm. Now, this, this is such a fascinating paradigm. On one side, you've got, the, the, the reign of Saul. Another one says in the days of Saul. Mm-hmm. And I want to just, I think there's a contrast here between the days of Saul and the days of David. Yeah. The ark was returned from the Philistines 20 or so years earlier. And it comes back, you know, the, the story of what happens with the Philistines. They, they capture the ark of God. It goes in the temple of Dagon. It falls down. Then they start breaking out in boils and they go and inquire of their gods and their gods, which is a whole episode on a theology of the gods, but their gods, uh, they inquire of their gods and they say, we need to send it back. So like, you know, send it back. And if they take the ark back, we'll know that it was God and not just fate. Mm-hmm. And so the ark comes back and the ark ends up uh, in the home of a man who sits on it for 20 years. This is before Obed Edom mm-hmm. sits on it for 20 years. And Saul knows this and does nothing about it. Mm. And so Saul's whole way. So what is it that marks the people of God? What was God's whole point in having the tabernacle and the ark? That his presence would be among them. Yes. In the book of Exodus, it says, how will anybody know that you're with if if it's not your presence? Now, here's a few answers. Here's how people will know. Circumcision, dietary restrictions, morality, uh, dress, Mm. uh, look. So there's a thousand ways that yes, you could go, yes, oh, yes. that's a that's a, a Hebrew. But they said it's none of those things. It's the presence that makes yeah. us the people of God. So God's whole heart is to be amongst his people. Mm. 
Saul they reject basically because of Samuel's discipleship. He fails to produce kings, uh, prophets who can inherit a priesthood and rule a nation. So they say in rebellion to his failed discipleship, give us a king like the other nations. And so God says, you want a king? I'm going to give you Saul. And so Saul is, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. Yes. He looks like they want. It says the spirit of God comes on him. He prophesies, becomes another man. Mm-hmm. And Saul leads, but Saul doesn't lead reliant on the presence. Right. So you know what happens with Saul? He, uh, he The people scatter and he says, out of fear, mm-hmm. I offer the sacrifice. So he oversteps the bounds. He doesn't fear the Lord. He struggles mm-hmm. with control. He tries to control timing he tries to control outcomes yes so soul is a man who leads on natural realms and human control wow and so even though the priest is sitting there for almost two decades never once does he think except as a gimmick let's go get the presence of god Mm. back amongst his people he is content to go to war with the philistines build his kingdom rule and reign without god in Mm -hmm. their midst God says, I'm go- I found another man. I've rejected you as king. Yes. I found another man after my own heart who will do all of your will. Sam, one day you pointed out in the prayer room, mm-hmm. David's name is not even mentioned in Scripture up to this point. Yes, 1 Samuel 13. But his heart is known to God. Yes. So when God says, I've got another man, we don't know the man, but God knows the man. Yes. Come on. He's in obscurity. He's seeking the Lord. And God says, this man will do all my will. So after a season of Saul fighting against, he feels he feels threatened, the loss of his kingdom. David finally ascends to the throne. And then David says this, let us bring up the ark of our God back to us for we did not inquire of it. So this is a parallel thing. In the days of Saul, Saul is leading, ruling, fighting, and building without the presence in his midst. And I think that that in some sense is the sort of a prophetic parallel mm-hmm. between the pragmatic nature of what the church yes. has done. Yes. I want to say this. Uh, in the 1970s, there was a handful of mega churches in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You could count them on two hands. Mm-hmm. And now we have thousands of mega churches. Yes. And I want to note this. We've got better technology. We've had public sure. pastors. We've got radio ministries, internet ministries. There's never been a time of greater technique, human personality, natural growth mechanisms, and culture wars in the church. And what has that resulted in? The greatest time of decline. Mm-hmm. And it has been people like Saul who have been content to build models, ministries, and methods without the manifest presence of God. And so something happens, even though Saul had the anointing and he built a kingdom, it was taken away from him. And then he, what does David do when he gets power? And this is fascinating. He says, let us go bring back the ark. Mm. David's first use of his power is to get the presence back in the midst of his people. I, so we good. think that's a shift that's happening right now. Yes. A new generation of leaders are rising up, and that generation of leaders are saying, we got to go get the presence yes. back. You're, you're rarely going to find. And by the way, I think Asbury was God saying, give yep. me my church back. Yes. Say that. From p- personality, technique, and programs to visit Asbury, was to attend a bad chapel service. And what I mean by that is no lights, no tech. People criticize. They keep singing the same songs. You know why? They didn't have a screen. They didn't even have lyrics. (laughs) That was God saying, my presence will be enough for the church. And so I, I don't meet a young person now who wants to be a celebrity pastor. 
I don't meet a young person who says, my yeah. goal is to build a huge church and build a human empire in Jesus' name. I'm not criticizing size. Our church is a decent size. I'm talking about the emphasis of mm -hmm. what you want. God is raising up leaders who say, I want the presence. And yeah. We're shifting from the days of Saul, kingdoms without presence, to the days of David where the first thing he does and goes and gets the presence. That's so good. The challenge. David's zeal for the presence is not enough to bring the presence in. Mm. So what does David do? He puts, he, they all get excited. Everyone's like, let's get the presence. They all get excited about bringing God back into their midst. And what happens? They do it with human means. Mm. So they put the ark on a cart. And David, in his zeal for the presence, doesn't pay attention to the holiness of God and the commands of God. Mm. And so when they bring the cart along, and uh, Uzzah steady tries to help God, mm -hmm. help God's presence on the way in with a good heart. God strikes him dead and said, this made David angry and afraid. Mm. So David retreats and he goes through a period of mourning because he's like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do what's in my heart. And God says, no, your heart's right. Yeah. But your methodology is wrong. It's mm. still a man-centered pragmatic methodology. Mm -hmm. So obviously Obed-Edom is blessed. And then he says, oh, we've got to do it right. Mm -hmm. So the whole community consecrate themselves to the Lord. The whole community then get the right people, which was the priesthood who was supposed to carry it. The first time he goes with the warriors, the second time he comes back with the priest, yeah. the Levites. And then what do they do? They carry it on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. yes. And this is something that is not built on what humans can make, like the Philistines returned it. It is carried on the right people. And then it says he offers a sacrifice. So he walks six steps and he offers a sacrifice. Now, there's a lot of theological debate about what's happening. But they say, some scholars say, it would have taken about 3,500 sacrifices to go the distance from Obed Edom's to get the ark back into the center of Jerusalem. And here's what I think is a, a vital thing about the God of revival bringing his presence back. Number one, God's raising a generation that want it. Number two, that generation is realizing yes. the fear of the Lord and holiness, yes. not just human excitement and, and zeal for the mm -hmm. presence. God's saying my presence is distinct and holy. And thirdly, the presence doesn't come in in a moment like we want. Mm -hmm. Sure, It's brought by sacrifice. Yes. Every six steps we stop and we consecrate and we say, Lord, we depend on you. The presence rarely comes in in a moment. It is 3,500 moments of consecration, sacrifice, honoring the Lord, remembering who he is. So I think, again, that's a part of the yes. paradigm of what God is mm. doing. He is getting yes. a generation who say, we don't want technique. We don't yep. want human personalities. We don't want the days of Saul. Yes. And a generation of leaders are coming together saying, we want the presence at our center. We want to be presence-driven churches. Yes. We want this to mark us out. Not mm. even our morality or mm. our doctrine, which yes. both of which matter. Yes. Secondary things. But it's the presence of God in our midst. Yes. Surely God is among them. And I think a huge part of what we, we see is God bringing leaders who want the presence, who recognize the failures of trying to do it in the flesh. Mm -hmm. So it's the fear of the Lord. It's an awareness of his holiness. And then there's that process yes. of becoming the kinds of people who can carry it through sacrifice and consecration in the journey together. I think that's a huge thing we mm -hmm. see in the moment right now. Wow. Yeah, I know we we talk about this story a lot. And, you know, the moment of time that we're in and, you know, feel it deeply in my spirit is something we I chat through the story of David all the time. Would love to hear just from you guys, you know, you're leading churches and you're in your context. Like, what does this mean practically? 
You know, like, man, you mean this, that wasn't this, practical. Uh, I think it's very practical. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it, that was it is very practical. Question. I think even just like in your everyday life as a church leader, you know, when you're out there, like we're doing the thing, we, we know we're in this generational shift. This is resonating with people, but just like, man, how does this mark you? I can just say for me, this Johnny referenced it. First Samuel 13, Saul loses the kingdom. It's his mm. first time being moved by the fear of man, not, not waiting upon the Lord. And he's pleading like, please let me, I want to have it. And the Lord says, no, no, no I've already called someone else. At this point, David is not named in Scripture. Mm. He's not known. And I think, you know, delivering, Johnny references this, like, for me, it is trying to, like, deliver people from, you don't need a stage. You don't need a platform. Mm. You can live a hidden life that moves God. You can live a life of secrecy that moves the heart of God. You know, John hears me say this all the time. One of my, like, values in life, a tenet I live by, is I want to exchange whispers with God that create wakes in men and women. You know, there's so many people that want to make wakes in culture. We have these like, you know, you want to be like TikTok. There's like all these like ways you can influence culture these days. But I think when the church gets delivered from, man, I don't need to be known on social media. I don't need to be known in these public spaces. I don't need to be known in these spaces. I want to know that my voice is heard in the throne of heaven. And when I begin to whisper with God on behalf of people, the like things begin to shake. That's what one of my marking moments of my life is, man, I want to be the person that like, no one knows my name, but God knows my name. Mm. In a life of significance, you have like Daniel Nash live this life under Charles Finney, you know, the, a hidden intercessor. No one knows his name. You have this incredible public ministry. And I think about this all the time as I mean, am I being recognized more publicly for something that's not there privately? And just always mm. feeling the more the public pressure comes. It's nothing wrong with that. I'm not sure. There's nothing wrong with God giving people a platform. David gets that platform. Mm. And he's still later at that same heart. We got to get the presence back. But at the same time, as that public platform grows, private intimacy must grow at the same, if not a more accelerated rate. Mm -hmm. The more happens in my life externally, more invitations that come, it's like the deeper I need to draw into the secret place with God. And so, I mean, for you guys, like, what are some of the practical takeaways you have from this like this transition we're in, and how it plays out in your like everyday life? Chad, I want to hear from you in one sec, but I just I, I just had a thought. Saul is worried that the people are scattering, mm -hmm. so he oversteps his bounds, and I honestly think. That was so much of the compromise, progressive Christianity, reorienting our sexual ethics, lowering our view of the world of God to become palatable to a generation that's scattering. Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a sacrifice so I keep you around. I'm mm -hmm. going to sacrifice my theology. I'm going to sacrifice church history. I'm going to sacrifice ethical positions because I don't want you to run away. Mm -hmm. All of my compromise, and God says the kingdom's been taken away from you. Mm. And David's wow. the one that That's doesn't so compromise out of control. And his kingdom is built on honoring God and God's timing. Now, he ends up making some mistakes, but he gets the one thing right, right. which is about honoring God. So I, I just wanted to put that in there. Do not compromise like Saul and sacrifice to try and keep the people around. Wait for God's timing. Yes. The generation is going to come back to the church, not by our compromise to make them like it. Yes. It's going to come back when the presence is yes. in our yes. midst. The compromise is never worth it. It will only accelerate decline and kingdom loss. Yeah, I think what, that's so powerful. So, Rich, I think two things as like a, like a pastor of a local church, uh, the, the Saul bent, if you mm -hmm. read 1 Samuel 8, I did it at one time. It's not in this Bible that I have. I think it's probably on my digital space here. Uh, the amount of things Samuel told Israel that Saul would do for him. He'll take your sons. Mm -hmm. He'll take the fruit of your fields, your, your maidservants, your women. There was so much he. I actually underlined, I circled every he mentioned of the king they wanted. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And as a leader, mm. it is so easy. If you, if, 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 why saying yes to building a presence-centered church ministry, heart culture, family culture, life culture, etc. It's a, it's what Paul called mm. a safeguard. Because mm. if I don't, if I don't guard that space, that this as a leader, this thing isn't about me. Mm-hmm. Like, like John just said, even the scattering, like, like that, even oozes sin. That, like, uh, the expediency. Let's get this done quickly. Mm-hmm. A, let's make this about me, my platform my position, mm. my reach, and then B, let's get it fast. Mm-hmm. Those two things yeah. I see in shifting from a Saul paradigm, just yeah. personally as a leader, mm. I've been through the most like crucible season of my life. Mm. And I'm on a prayer walk the other day and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to say, I'm going to look back 30 years from now and say that was the best year of my life. Mm. And part of it has been mm. chatty. Like this isn't about you. Mm. That's the Saul complex. This isn't about he will take and, 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 and head and shoulders, et cetera, gifting, talent, ability. And, and part of the safeguard mm. and the wisdom of God and the humility of, of saying, you know what? And, and, and the humility to say, it's not going to come overnight. Mm. The, that, that thing can't be carried on an ark. Like that's supposed to be on our shoulders. Mm. We pay that, that sacrificial cost. And so just as a leader, the temptation is always like back to Jesus's temptation to build my identity on what I produce, how I perform, and 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 what I possess, mm-hmm. like the length of my power and platform yep. and position, and to say yes to the presence is like this is why David's such a significant leader. It's the first thing he does as king. Mm. It's like this kingdom is going to be about him, yes. and I think that that's a thousand, that's thirty five hundred sacrifices. Mm-hmm as leaders of humility, going low, just mm. like living that life and, and building that ecosystem internally. And then in your, in your church to just continually say, I all, mm-hmm. all eyes on him, yes. all this, eyes on him. This is huge. And, and that is actually so practical Yes, because so you're, you're in a bit of a replant or mm-hmm. a restart of your church. Yeah. Um, I left a church in the middle of New York city that I um, planted that, you know, was a large church. And um, to start to, to sort of start again based on what I perceive to be a biblical prompting around building around the presence, building around the presence. And that that's very practical. Mm. It shows up in how mm-hmm. you spend your money. It shows up what you highlight, shows yes. up in your time. Church plants uh, are tapped for resources. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man, we can barely do a decent kids ministry that meets legal clarifications. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the classic... The worship leader's playing the drums and then while praying slowly puts the drumsticks down and transitions to doing the announcements. And then while they're praying for the announcements, you know, transitions over. You're just doing everything. Yeah. And the temptation is to say when we're bigger, when we have more money, when we have more time, when we have more volunteers, then we'll put the presence in the center. But it's a conscious decision to say the first thing I will do with power that I get is build it around the presence. I know the story of your church. Mm. I know how you're building right now, mm. building altars of seeking God. When we planted in New York, I was like, I made a resolve in my spirit. If I ever get to be a lead pastor, if I ever get influence, and I made this decision, if I ever get to be a youth pastor, I'm going to disciple my kids in prayer. If I ever build a college ministry, I'm going to build prayer into what we do. And uh, when I was a senior pastor, I said, my first commitment, we're going to build our church on prayers. The presence is going to be at the center. We're going to seek God. Mm. And, I think that 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 is such practical advice. Don't fall into the trap of think when I'm bigger, have more money, have more time, have more resources. The things you're hoping happen in your church come from God, not your human efforts. Yes. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, it's God who makes yes. things grow. Yes. And so often when, even on a practical level, yes. I don't our church has no numerical goals. If you get come to any of our strategic planning, it's never how do we grow by 400 people, you know. It, it, growth is incidental, you know, yes. to, to what it is we're trying to go. But some people say, how's your church growing in New York? I'm like, you're not ready for mm. the answer. And what they expect is soul-like technique. Yeah. And the response is the radical pursuit of God. Yes. We have worked hard. You know, we have 31-hour prayer meetings a week, corporate prayer or whatever it is. Like we, It's about seeking God. The growth comes from God. They're, you know, but what else? And I'm like, there is no what else. Mm-hmm. This is about seeking God and putting him at the center of what you do. What, what have you done in your replant yeah. to put God at the center? Well, and that's, thank you. That was, that was where I wanted to go. What we want to encourage you with is, like, I've been to New York. It's like, it's like, a, it's always, a, I love going and hanging out in the prayer room. This last time I, I was there. there. No, it's my favorite. I'm back there. Big Sam's over there. I, like the two big, big, tall dudes. But I'm like, oh my God's moving here. He's yes. ministering. And then I come back to my context. I don't, I don't pastor a, uh, a mega church mm-hmm. or even a large church. We're replanting. We're small. We're lean. I, I am the tech guy, worship guy. I, I, what you <laughs> just said, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that's so me. But here's 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 my encouragement. Practically, start small, be consistent. Mm-hmm. Yes. So okay, call one prayer meeting, build it. Okay, cool. You, now you have the capacity. Build build another hour. Build another hour. And I was just sharing with this with you guys uh, uh, around a meal earlier in our time that. That in 2020, like sort sort of pre-COVID, there was so much momentum. I know that was sort of maybe the case for a lot of churches. Yes. If yes. I recall, like this, the, yes. the redemptive yes. storyline, we were we were building. There were hours and hours and hours, and then you sort of lose your bearings. Almost the whole world lost their bearings, basically, in COVID. And honestly, I I, I just feel like as, as a pastor and a leader. Like and, and even just the the sobriety, the fear of the Lord. Like mm. now's the time to re like like. Like th- that season is over. Yes. Is what I'm saying. That like the disorientation that hit the world. Be a be a David who builds around the presence. Don't mm-hmm. don't like we're we're we, we actually going back to the days of Saul. There there's it's not actually an option. Yes, like that's not the thing yes. any longer. Don't try and get your pre-COVID momentum. Where yes, yes. where where is the presence? Where the unmistakable presence of God mm. that lays bare the human heart. Mm before the sufficiency of the savior mm. and our necessity to respond to his relational reach in the gospel. Mm. Mm. And I, I just, you know it when you go into a space that's prepared in prayer and when you don't go into a space. And so just mm-hmm. personally, full transparency, we have so much work to do and that's not to belittle the little church that I pastor, but my heart is so provoked and encouraged to keep doing the little yeah. things over a consistent period of time so that the cultural value mm-hmm. Is not just something that's sweet on your website or your yes. Instagram feed, mm-hmm. but it's like this is how we roll. It's a it's a great reminder. When I say talk to church planners or folks who are in smaller congregations, um, which I've absolutely been, you know, I've I've pastored small congregations. Um, I say, do you have a kids ministry? I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, why? And they're like, because we want families to come. I'm like, great, do you have a youth? Do you have a youth ministry? Yeah, why? We want kids to come. Do you guys do? Sunday services, yeah, why we want people to come. I'm like, do you guys do prayer? Do you want God to come? And it's really as simple as that. You have to build into what you do, things yes. where you say to, say to the Lord, Lord, you're so welcome here. 
Yes. And there's a difference between doing things for God, which matter, yeah, and doing things unto God, unto. where He is the center. Yes. And uh, I just want to encourage you, like, if you want God in your church, begin to seek Him. Yes. Turn your heart to the Lord. Create space. Yeah. There's some advantages in a smaller church. There's a lot of challenges, mm. but there's some advantages. And here's the advantage. Um, you don't have a huge over. It's not a huge machine to mm. run. And um, you can, if if nobody's coming to your church for the, the excellence of the production, that's great. You don't have to do an excellent prayer mm. meeting. It can just be a few of you. Start with what you have. Put God at the center. And in my life, some of the most potent Same. Top five encounters with God. I'm in the Hebrides with yeah. our friend, uh, Pastor Tommy McNeil and, and uh, Pastor Donna. I'm at a prayer meeting with them. There's maybe 30 people. I'm in a glory portal <laughs> pinned to the floor yes. in yes. the Hebrides. It's yes. not a huge production. Right. It's yes. just a hungry atmosphere. Yes. And they are just resolved to seek the Lord. So I want to encourage you, if you want God to show up, do the thing that attracts his presence. Put him at the center. Yeah, I think the just overall this idea of like we do all these things for God without any expectation for him to actually show up. Mm. And there is something that happens, you know, and it's, it's not these, you know, we referred to this earlier, like these huge, like glory, you know, gold. It's like, if that happens, I'm so for it. Like I, I'm, I'm there in the room. We recently had something happen where, you know, I get this late at night, I'm in bed and get a text. Hey, the, you know, our prayer set's still going. It's hour and a half over. And look over my wife. I was like, hey, we need to go check this out. Let's go see what's happening. And I walk into the room and someone told me, it's like, hey, there's a grace for intercession right now. And if you know me, I'm like built for that. It's, I love to like, let's go rip the roof off the place. You know, not in a prideful way, but it's like, oh, I'm built for this. And we're walking and I, these people have been going for three hours now, extended time, not forcing it, not manufacturing it. It's just, he's here in the room. Now walk the threshold of this door. One of the volunteers that's in the room, her name's Sarah, she's amazing. She like looks at me and like begins to laugh that I just showed up, you know. And I couldn't even look her in the face. I immediately looked down because there was such a strong sense of the presence of God in the room. I couldn't announce that I was present in the room. Mm. Not that I would walk in and like, hey everyone, I'm here. But I'm I crossed the threshold of this door. Mm. And there's such a degree of, there's such a greater presence here. You can't acknowledge you're in the room. Not in a shame way, mm-hmm. but in the absolute fear of God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, it's not that this prayer meeting was amazing. This is just the faithful sacrifices. That's the six so steps good. at a time. It's mm-hmm. just to like, mm-hmm. and you get these moments of time that like, that is what the Western church needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is when God descends upon a church service. It's like we plan all this stuff and like we don't actually expect him to show up. It, it's it's so true. You go to church, you expect your friends to be there. You expect the worship leader to be there. You expect a pastor to give you a sermon there. You expect volunteers to be there. It's some the, the least person you actually expect to meet at church is God himself. <laughs> you know, like you're faithfully That's... doing things for him. But like if he had to show up, you're like, who are you? And you're like, I'm God Almighty. Yes. You know, so I think that's so important. I remember... Uh, Dr. Ron Walden saying to me, in every service, the Holy Spirit dips his toe in and says, am I welcome here? Mm. And it's learning to discern in any moment. Is, is that, was it, did, he just, did he just say, can I manifest my presence here? Wow. And I think the more we get that, the more we create atmosphere and environments and expectation and hunger for that to happen, yes. the more we're going to live in the days of David rather than in the days of Saul. 
So profound. Well, we're going to land the plane there. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us here on episode three. We will uh, see you in our next episode together. <laughs>